Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today we are continuing our series, Bringing Sexy Back. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with this week's message. Well, I want to start off uh, kind of with an introduction. If you have your your phones or your tablet with you, uh, you can follow along with us. Uh, There's an app called YouVersion. Uh, If you open it up, it's a free download. If you open it up, you click the live button, you search for the word vertical, and you'll find us uh, there. You can follow along uh, with the scripture references and uh, take notes and know yourself. It's awesome. Uh, But there's a guy who wrote a book. His name is Gary Chapman. He wrote a book called Love Languages. Maybe you've read it, maybe you haven't. If you haven't read it, I want to give you a really, really quick synopsis of this book, kind of as an introduction to Song of Psalms, chapter 1 and chapter 2. Basically, he says that there are different ways that we give and receive love. Uh, He he basically says people have a predominant love language and that they speak. And the problem is, oftentimes, in marriage... If you and your spouse don't have the same love language, you might be speaking different languages, and you might be loving them, and you might be trying to to show them and tell them that you love them, but because they speak a different love language, they're not getting it. They're not receiving it. They don't feel appreciated. They don't feel loved because you're speaking different love languages. And I'm going to kind of... Like I said, if you haven't read the book, I'm going to give you a really quick synopsis of what he says these love languages are. Basically five. Uh, some people like to talk. And that's how they express their love. That's how they receive love. They love They love to talk. They love to visit. They love to email and phone call and text message and how are you doing and, and how are you feeling today. And, and I want to encourage you and I want to compliment you and talk, 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 right? Some people are like that. Maybe you're not. I'm not. I'm not like that. It's like pulling teeth to get me to talk. Okay, now I know you say, Pastor Josh, you talk a lot on Sunday. <laughs> right. I do. Anyway, uh, that's, not, no, that's not my love language. That's not how I communicate. Some people, it's gifts. Giving and receiving gifts. This is how they tell you, I love you. you know? It might be a big gift. Here's a car. Here's a vacation. Here's a house. It might be a small gift. Here's a blueberry muffin that I got at the store because I thought of you and I know you like blueberry muffins and I just wanted to bring this to you for breakfast. It might be a small gift, big gift, doesn't matter. Some people communicate love by giving and receiving gifts. And so you come up to them and you're trying to talk, 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 but their love love language is, you got something for me. (laughs) I don't want to hear you talk. I want to see what you got in hand. And when you... You butt up against each other because you're not speaking the same language. And so one person doesn't feel loved and another person feels like they're doing all this loving, loving, love. For some people, it's service. You know, help me. Do something for me. I don't care what you say. The house is a wreck and I need some help. Right? Some people, it's help. Some people, it's service. You know, can you help with the laundry? Can you run an errand? Can you fix me a sandwich? Can you grill those wings that I've been really wanting? You know, whatever. Some people, it's time. Be with me. Be with me. I don't care what I don't care what you got in your hand. Just spend time with me. Be with me. Carve out time. Date night. Sit together. Hold. You know. Hang, hang out together. I just want to. I, I never see you. I just want to spend time with you. Right. Love language is time. I just want some of your time. And lastly, the, the, the last love language that he talks about is touch. And you can always tell the touching couples, right? 
Some of you are sitting behind some of those couples here this morning, you know. He's got her arm around her. He's rubbing the back of her head. She's scratching his shoulder. They're holding hands all the time, you know. Look like third base coaches or something. Doing this all the time. It's touch. You communicate your love through touch. Now, now this is, I'm not a third base coach, but... But if I fit in a category, or if I have a predominant language, it, it, it probably is touch. You know, I, I love, you know, I love neck, neck rubs and back massages, right? Come on, foot rub, all that. I will fake an injury to get a massage. Don't tell Hope about that. Kind of keep that a secret just between us. I will. I will fake an injury just to, just to get a massage. And I know my wife does too. She's talking. Anyway. <laughs> I better move on. Uh, the, the key is to know and to speak your spouse's love language. And here's the reality. You've got to keep checking in. You've got to keep checking in with them and talking and communicating because it can change. This can change. Hey, you, your, your love language might be, might be gifts and then you have kids and, and you're like, I don't care what you have in your hand. I need some help. Right? It can change. It can change with the circumstances of life that comes up. And the, the interesting thing is, is as we read the book of Psalm of Psalms together, you see all of these. You see them communicating with each other through all of these different languages, all of these different ways. Well, let's go ahead and jump right into chapter 1. We left off last week uh, at the end of uh, verse 7, so we're going to start this week with verse 8. And so he speaks for the first time. Last week, it was all her. It was all her voice, all, all, uh, all the woman speaking. This week, he gets to speak for the first time. Many of you men know what that's like. All right. Verse 8, chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. If not, like I said, the scriptures will be on the screen, or you can follow along on your phone or your tablet. Here we go. Verse 8, he speaks for the first time. If you do not know, oh, most beautiful among women, no, we've got to stop right there because I can't let you off the hook, guys. Guys, men, menfolk, you need to talk like this. You need to talk like this. Oh, most beautiful among women. Oh, super hot, hotty, sweetie pie, sugar plum. Oh, most beautiful. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my. You need to talk like this. You gotta, and you got to lay it on thick. Right when you get to the point of feeling embarrassed, you're just scratching the surface of where you need to be. So you gotta lay it on thick. You gotta lay it on super thick. Oh, super sweet sweetums. Oh, cereal with an extra hot hottie in the morning for breakfast. Oh, you know, you, you gotta lay it on thick. So he says, if you do not know, oh, most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock. And pasture your goats beside the shepherd's tent. Tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. So a couple things we can learn here. Uh, the first thing is your spouse needs to be a priority in your life. You see, this passage is following her request. In, in verse 7, she says, you know what, I, I know your schedule is busy. I know, I know uh, it's very hectic at work right now. He's the king and he's doing all kinds of things. But when can we meet? 
When can we carve out some time just for us? When can we be alone together? When can we have us time? And he says to her, here. Here's where we can meet. Here's how to find me. In other words, he says, you are a priority to me. I will make time for you. I will carve out time for you. And here's how you do this. Really practical is how you do it. You do it through your schedule. You, you, you do this in your schedule. He's responding to her previous question of where we can meet. And he says, there's room for you in my life. I'm not so busy that there's not room for you. Hope and I just started doing this this past week. Uh, we, we live uh, pretty scheduled, but we try to take it to the ne- next level this week by putting, by putting our calendars together. Okay, here's what I've got through the week. Here's what you've got through the week. Let's put these together and start looking for places where we can spend time together. And being intentional, because here's the reality. Many of us live our lives on accident. And what doing this is, is begin living your life on purpose. And being intentional at making sure you have scheduled time together. We've got date night. We've got, we've got family night with the kids. And, and here's when I'm going to get up so you can have your time. And here's when you're going to get up so I can have my time. You, you put life together. And you don't put life together on date night. You don't have this conversation on date night. If you have a date night, I don't know if you have a date night. If you don't have a date night, put your life together. Look at your calendar see where you can find a date night. Because you don't do this on date night. Because date night is all about romance. All about romance. This is family business. This is getting our schedules and our calendars together so we have intention. Intentional time spent together with one another. Date night is all about romance. All about romance. Number two is that you've got to understand that your spouse needs to be complimented. Here in just a few minutes at the end of our uh, end of the message of the worship experience, you noticed when you came in, uh, there were two strands of yarn on your program. When you came in, right? Probably, yeah, you probably got those. If you didn't, at the end of service, we'll have an opportunity for you to, to get those. We're actually going to talk about here in just a few minutes what that means and what that refers to. But uh, it has to do with this. Your spouse needs to be complimented. Now, if you notice in this passage, he compares her to a horse, a mare. Now, I wouldn't recommend this. Okay? I would not recommend... Gentlemen, looking over at your wife and saying, baby, you look like a horse. (laughs) Probably not going to be received very well. I'm just guessing. I don't know you that great. Like, I don't know exactly how you would take that. But I know that if I looked at my wife and I said, baby, you look like a horse today. I might get smacked upside the head. Right? But the context here is is really, really important. We know through other, other passages of the scripture that Solomon had 12,000 Egyptian horses and 1,400 chariots. And this was a, a marvelous fleet of horses. I don't know what you call a group of horses that big. But this is just a marvelous collection of horses. Now, let me ask you a question. It doesn't take a, a horse scientist, whatever they're called, to, it doesn't take a veterinarian to figure this out. If you take 12,000 guy horses... And you bring in a girl horse, which is what a mare is, I'm going to bet there's going to be a little bit of enthusiasm on that farm. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah, the 12,000 boy horses, bring in a girl, they're going to be pretty excited. Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. When you come around, 
you have all my attention. When you come around, I get excited. When you come around, when, when, when I see you, when you walk into the room, my eyes light up because I've noticed you're here. And it makes my day better. I'm excited. That's what he says. He compliments her. He says, you excite me. When I see you, I remember the love that we have together and I'm interested. She needs to know and he needs to know that they're desirable, that they're loved, that they're exciting. And you might be thinking, well, they're not. You need to tell them they are. How do you think, how do you think you're going to get the point across and get them, because we have this idea of manipulation, you know, I'm just going to do this. No, no, no. Compliment and let the compliment draw them to the place, of, you know, of desire. Don't, don't manipulate and be harsh and be mean. Speak positive. Don't speak negative. We're going to talk about it at the very end. We, we speak so negatively to our spouses when Scripture tells us we need to speak positivity. We need to speak life. We need to speak blessing over them. Not, you know, you're a jerk. You're always mean. You're always... No, no, no. We need to speak complimentary. He says to her, he says, you're a mayor. Among, among all of these Egyptian horses, you make me excited. And I love when you come around and I love seeing you. And then he says this. He says, um, he says I compare you my love. He's got a little nickname for her. Isn't that sweet? That's a good nickname. My love. Now, some of you have really bad nicknames for, for each other. No, no, no. When I talk, you need a good nickname for your spouse. You know, sociologists tell us that we only nickname the people that we love the most. We only nickname the people that we love the most. I give I give my kids new nicknames like every day. You know, Leximus and Colster and Colio and Leximus and all the time. Why? Because I love them. Am I? In my small group on Wednesday nights, we're studying the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, uh, there's seven letters to seven churches right at the very beginning. And one of the, one of the churches, it says, Jesus tells them, I'm going to give you a white stone with a name written on it that only I know. And this points at Jesus' intimate, personal relationship with each follower. Jesus gives us a nickname because he's very intimate and close and loves us and only he knows it. Guys, your wife needs a nickname that's just between the two of you. That when you say it, she knows, oh, that's just for me. He doesn't call anybody else by that. Ladies, your husband needs a nickname that when he hears it, he knows, oh, that's just for me. She doesn't call anybody else that. And it it can be whatever you want. You can do, you can do my love. You can do sweet pie, baby, Mr. Sexy. I don't know. Whatever you want. I, we don't need to know what your nickname is. It's just between the two of you. But we need a little secret nickname that's just for each other. Well, verse 11. The friends speak and give their opinion because that's what friends do. They're um, always chiming in. But here they chime in and they actually say something very nice and very beneficial. Verse 11, they say... We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. In other words, they say, we're going to help you get dressed up for your big night out. And we can talk all sorts of different things about what this, this one little verse means, but here's the big idea that I want you to get just from this one little verse. You, you, you need to be very intentional in who you call your friends. And you need to pick friends who enhance your marriage. You need to pick friends who give you good advice, who encourage you 
to love each other, you don't need to pick friends who, who try to draw you into temptation. Gentlemen, you don't need friends after work coming to you saying, hey, do you want to go here? Slip the wedding band off. Let's just flirt a little bit. It'll be fun. You don't need friends like that. Ladies, you don't need friends in your life who are constantly bad-mouthing your husband, constantly telling you how, how much of a jerk he is and how bad he is. You don't need those kind of friends. You need friends who are going to speak life into you. You need friends who are going to speak good counsel and good, good advice into you. Let me say this. If, if you are married uh, to a guy or a, or, or a woman that, that is a jerk, okay, like, like seriously is just a, you know, a jerk and he... Uh, you know, cheats on you and beats you and slaps you around, then a good friend is going to say, hey, that needs a jerk. Okay? If you're dating somebody right now and your friends don't like them, there's a really good chance that your friends are probably actually right. Okay? Sometimes our, picking good friends also means that they see through some of, the, some of the exterior and they can call somebody on their junk. And sometimes you need to call people on their junk. That's a good friend. But you also need friends who are speaking life into you. That's good. That's, that's, that's pleasant. Verse 12 and 14, she speaks. She speaks again. And, um, and listen to what she says. She says, last verse, she says, while the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. I said last week, uh, some of the men felt kind of beat up on. All right? Um, and, and I really want you to hear everything that I say really applies to both, both men and women. But in an effort to remain uh, balanced, and because, because this passage doesn't make much sense <laughs> anyway else, I'm going I'm to talk to the ladies here for just a couple minutes. Um, there's a couple of things that he really wants you to know. And, uh, and, it, and a lot of it's found right here in this passage. Um, he needs an Engedi. She needs an Engedi too. So God, I'm going to say this right up front. Everything that I say about the ladies here, about this, this particular aspect, man, this is for you too. You need to, you need to take, care of, take care of this for your lady. Um, Engedi, in this, in this uh, geolocation, was a desert oasis. In the midst of this huge desert, there's this oasis called Engedi, and it's amazing. It's filled with fresh water and trees and fruit. It's full of life. And the reality of it is a lot of men feel like their lives are like a desert. It's like a desert and everything's dry. And they want to come home to an Engedi, to an oasis, a place of rest, a place of rejuvenation, a place of refreshment. Now, men, this goes for you. Your wife, many, many women feel like their lives are a desert and they want to come home to a place of rest, a place of rejuvenation, a place of, of, of refreshment. So it says here, uh, she says he's laying on the couch eating, uh, which is biblical, so um, let him do it. <laughs> it's in the Bible. We teach the Bible. Might I suggest to add some nachos and wings? <laughs> um, yeah, I would, I would suggest nachos and wings. Everybody's getting hungry. And I'm getting off track. Anyway. <laughs> totally Nachos and wings. He really wants, he really wants home to be a Getty. So when he comes in or when she comes in, don't jump on him right at the door. Hey, you need to do this. The house needs to be painted. The grass is this tall. The kids are a mess. You need to do this. You need to take care of this. If you get home first, 
your responsibility to help create an environment of engaging in the house. Okay? This goes for men and women both. If you get home first, what is your goals should be when, when your love gets home? It's a place of rest and rejuvenation and refreshment. So men, it's your responsibility to create that atmosphere for her. And ladies, it's your responsibility to create that atmosphere for him. So a great question for you to ask when you get in your car this, after, this afternoon is to look at your spouse and say, what does it get you like for you? What is an oasis from, from your life that sometimes looks like a desert? What does that look like for you? The reality of it is, maybe, maybe you've got kids, and like I said, you come home and, and there's art supplies and Legos and Lincoln Logs and a laptop and an iPad and emails and Facebook. Right? That's not in getting. That's not it. Okay? That's not it. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not your whole home. Maybe it's a room. Maybe, maybe your bedroom is your sacred space that's in Getty, okay? And when you go in the bedroom, the iPad stays out. The, the computer, it stays out. This is a sacred space. This is in Getty. This is our oasis. Kids, you can play anywhere else in the house, but you can't play in this room. This is mommy and daddy's room, okay? I'm telling you, this is good stuff, and it might hurt, and you might have to go home and start reorganizing, but it's going to be beneficial for you. And in this one, some of you are going to go, oh, okay, here we go, I'll just say it. The men folk need you to understand that not only is home in Getty, but your physical body is also in Getty. This is what he needs you to understand. Physically, it's a place of rest and refreshment. Gentlemen, you understand that her body is a gift and she shares it with you. And ladies, his body is a gift. And he shares it with you. Now, I say, Christians get real uncomfortable talking about this. It's like, hey, hey, this book is 3,000 years old. Okay? It's, it's been here for a long time. We just don't talk about it. But that's what's happening here. When, when she says, while the king was on his, on his couch, my Nard gave forth his fragrance. Nard is a type of perfume that melts. Uh, when it comes into body heat, it's a, it's a solid and it melts and it gives off this pleasing aroma. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of the Getty. What do you think she's talking about? Okay? I'm not trying to be rude or crude or, or crass or anything like that. I'm just trying to say, what do you think she's talking about? Right. And so he wants you to understand that. And, and guys, you need to understand that about yourself too. And so, to lighten the mood, because I know some of you are going uh, I want to give you some very curious allegorical interpretations of this passage right here. Um, there, there is one interpretation uh, that basically says um, that, uh, that the part where it says, My beloved is to be a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts, uh, that, that those are um, the two cherubim. That, that sit on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And the sachet of myrrh is the Shekinah glory that dwells there in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament. Uh, that, that's one interpretation. Um, the, another one is that those are the Old and New Testaments, and that Christ is the sachet of myrrh between, between the Old and New Testaments. No, that's weird. Okay? <laughs> there is a level of biblical understanding that is literal. And what you think it means, it's probably what it means. You don't have to do the whole book. We're talking about the same thing. So let's just let them talk about it. 
All right, let's just go about it. Verse 15, he speaks again. Behold, you are beautiful. You got to keep it coming, guys. You got to keep it coming. See, a lot of times we think, well, I complimented them last week. Look, you got to keep it coming. You can't just say it once and then let years go down the road before you say it again. You got to keep it flowing, you got to keep it going. You gotta say it so much that she begins to see herself through your eyes. Okay? She's gotta see herself through your eyes. He's gotta see himself through your eyes. And you gotta be specific. When you compliment, you gotta be specific. Do you like her shoes? Do you like her handbag? Do you think her hair is nice? Did you think, think she did a good job picking out her clothes, her makeup, her sense of humor, the way she walks, the smirk that she gets on her face when you tell a joke that's not funny? <laughs> The way she snorts when you tell a joke that is funny. <laughs> tell her exactly, specifically. You should be like a running sports commentator. Just, you know, you look nice. That was sweet. Thank you. You smell like vanilla ice cream. Praise God. <laughs> Ladies, if you smell like vanilla ice cream, you'll not be able to uh, hold back your husband's that. She's not going to see herself through your eyes unless you tell her, unless you let her know what it is you're feeling or thinking, because she can't read your mind. Amazingly enough, as gifted and talented as all the women are in this room, they cannot read your mind. So you need to tell her. So he says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. There's his little nickname again. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved. Truly delightful. He says, This is what I see. When I look at you, I look at you and I see a dove. A dove is, is peaceful and, and, and pure and faithful. Maybe when I look at you, I see peace. When I'm around you, my heart is calm and still and I feel so at ease. It's so easy being with you because you put my mind at rest. He's just heaping compliments on her time and time again, just telling her how great he thinks she is. And she responds to this. Our couch is green, she says, verse, verse 1, verse 16 of chapter 1. Again, reference to the couch because uh, everybody needs a good couch. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. She says, I love our couch. I love our home. I love our ceiling. This is a beautiful, wonderful place to live. I'm so glad that we are here together. She's talking about their home. And the reality of this, look, like I said, I've been married seven and a half years. I know that when you first get married, it's not that impressive, oftentimes, right? Let me tell you a real quick story. This is really funny. You know, most of the times, most people who get married kind of start off you know, living in a kind of a rough, rough place, and then they kind of improve over time. We did not do this. Okay? We started off, when we first got married, we lived in a house that our friends owned, and we basically paid uh, utilities. We didn't even pay really rent. Uh, we paid utilities for the house, and we lived there for about nine, ten months, okay? We started off our marriage living in a house, beautiful house, I mean, great house. Then we moved to the Outer Banks of North Carolina, just down the road, um, to a condo, a little bit smaller, but condo at the beach, okay? House. Condo at the beach. The next time we moved, we moved into a single wide trailer in Gulfport, Mississippi that we shared with two other families. <laughs> See, most people start rough and they go up. That's not the way we did it. That's not the butcher way. We started, you know, posh 
And, and we went Mississippi single wide, three families, with like a dog and a cat. It was tight. One kid, we didn't have a kid yet, the other family had a kid. Um, it was crazy. We actually, well, I think when we moved in, it was really funny. We were part of Roof Cup. We moved in, we had a single watch earlier here, a single watch earlier. This was all for the single guys. This was the family. And between them, parked between them, was a motorhome that another family lived in. So, anyway, I could make a really funny TV show out of that. Uh, but like I said, you know, when you first get married, a lot of times it's not impressive, but you work what you got, and it takes time. And you know what? Whatever you got, you're working. You know what? You do the best with what you can. And so it might look like, you know, not much to somebody else, but to you, it's great. Our couch is lovely. You know, our, the beams of our house are seated. This place is wonderful. It's wonderful because you're here. You make it awesome. See how they're just continually complimenting each other back and forth. You're beautiful. You're awesome. Our house is great. I love spending time with you. I'm going to make room for you. You're beloved. You're my love. They just keep going back and forth with each other. A conversation of compliments. So a great question might be is, you know, what do we need to change in our house? That really, really practical question. What do we need to change in our house? Is it cluttered? Is it disorganized? Is there junk in the bedroom? What needs to change for our house to end up being the place of getting? We're working on this. I'm not just telling you this and then going home and having this. We are working on this. We're having the same conversation that I'm encouraging you to have at my house. So I'm, I'm buying what I'm selling. Verse 1, she says, I'm a rose of Sharon. That's a, that's a wildflower. That's very common. She looks at him and says, I'm a common gal. Why are you so infatuated with me? Why do, you, why do you love me like you do? I don't look like all of the beautiful girls. I don't look like them at all. Why are you so infatuated with me? And he says in verse 2, he responds to her question. He says, as a lily among the brambles, so is my love among the young women. He says, baby, I love you. I love looking at you. I love being with you. And he keeps reassuring her because some women don't understand the absolute gift of God that they are. And men, men, some men don't understand that the absolute, uh, that the absolute gift of God that they are, so they need to be reminded. This is why we continue having this conversation of compliments to each other. And we don't talk negatively to each other. We talk very positively to each other. And we tell them every day, baby, this is why I picked you, and this is why I pick you every day. You just keep it coming. Guys, you keep it coming. Ladies, you keep it coming. Now, she responds to this in verses 3 through 6, and the activity escalates. Um, and so I'm just going to read this and, uh, and let it sit out there and then share just a few thoughts with you. She says in verse 3, As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. Now, there is a lot there that we can talk about. Um, and some of y'all are laughing because you know, I don't even have to tell you what it is. Uh, but there's just a few thoughts. Um, and I promise you I will keep this PG, or at least PG-13. Um, first for the men she needs to know that she can trust you that she can be vulnerable with you that you're a safe place for her for her heart 
for her mind, for her physical body, that you're safe. See, this whole idea of the banner, his banner over me, is love. In that time, it's a military term, and in a, in a military campaign, your, your army's fighting and battling it out, and uh, people are getting scattered and separated, and there's warriors over here and soldiers over there, and everybody's is hand-to-hand combat, you know, fist to cuff, you're just going at it. And you get, you get scattered, you don't know where to go. You don't know which way the, the battle's raging. You don't know the direction you need to go. So what would happen is uh, they would lift up the banner of the army that you were fighting for. And your goal at that moment was to fight your way back to the flag. I'm going to fight my way back to because that's the safest place to be. If I can get there, I'll be, I'll be back with my community, and that's a safe place to be. And so she says, your banner over me is love. You're a safe place. I'm so thankful that I can be vulnerable with you. I'm so thankful that I can trust you with my heart. That's what she's telling me. So gentlemen, I would ask you, are you a safe place? And 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us that men should not speak harshly to their wives. Do you speak harshly to your wife? Are you a safe place? Ladies, if you're dating a man and he's harsh with you, he intimidates you, he yells at you, he gets physically violent with you, he threatens to get physically violent with you, you need to drop everything you got and run the other way. You need to get out. Here's the thing. He's not a banner. He's an enemy. His banner over her is love. He is a safe place for her. He's not going to hurt her. He's not going to speak harshly to her. He's he's going to be the type of man that she can trust. The type of man that she can be vulnerable in front of. He's not going to, to do anything to hurt her and the man you want to be with is the man you feel safest with. There's this idea that you want to be with a, you know, uh, a risky guy, a, a bad boy, a dangerous guy. No, 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 no. That's completely wrong. You want to be with the guy that you feel the safest with. Safest emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally. You want to be safe. It's a personal example. Um, I take this to the extreme a little bit because I am a little bit paranoid. I am a little bit crazy. Um, Hope and I are walking on the sidewalk. I, I, I promise you I do this. This is constantly rolling around in my head because I am a little bit crazy. We're walking on the sidewalk. I make sure that I am walking on the curbside, the side where the road is. Okay? And we'll turn, we'll we'll cross the street, and I'll find myself like not on the curbside, and I'm like, you gotta stop, you gotta get over here. And she'll look at me like, what are you doing? You are crazy. And here's the point. If a car jumps the curb and hits one of us, it's going to hit me first. That's my job. That's my role. I'm going to be the one to get hit by the car. Okay? Now, you're probably looking at me saying, you ain't going to do nothing to stop the car, do you? <laughs> That's not the point. The point is, what is in all areas of, of, of life, one of my goals is to be a safe place. And so, walking on the sidewalk, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a safe place. I'm going to get hit by the car. That's just one of my one of my rules. I'm gonna I'm gonna be one to get the car. Car jumps high. I'll do everything. I, if I've got to dunk my shoulder and build Goldberg that car, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> that was a reference to all my wrestling fans from like ten years ago. I don't even know if he wrestles anymore. Anyway, I know it's crazy, sure, paranoid, sure, but it's going to hit me first. Now for the ladies, okay? Uh, this is a very very tricky 
Um, conversation guy, because I don't want to embarrass anyone too much unnecessarily. Um, this is a real escalation in their conversation. Um, she is saying some very, very, very intimate things. In verses 5 and 6, um, this is describing a very intimate and a very sexual um, relationship, position. And a lot of women don't feel comfortable talking like this. This is her talking. And a lot of women do not feel comfortable talking like this. And so what, what I would encourage you to do is, is to, to kind of grasp hold that married, if you married Christian couples, if you're not married, you should not talk like this. If you're a married Christian couple, you should talk about everything, including what you like and don't like in a sexual way. Everything is on the table to be talked about. And, and they're not talking like two junior high boys in the locker room. And they're not talking like Dr. Oz. They're talking like a husband and a wife who love each other, who are passionate about each other, and who are godly. And that's how we're talking about this. It's not crude, and it's not crass, and it's not just scientific and medical. It's love, and it's passion, and they're a couple, so they're going to talk about it. And there's, a, there's an actual uh, motivation here, but before I get to that, um, it might be uncomfortable for you, but a great question, probably not in the car with your kids anymore, but a great question for you, for a conversation starter, is honestly, each of you talking to each other, how can I please you? How can I please you? Because here's my motivation, and you may question kind of the, my part here, but I, I want you to be absolutely delighted in your marriage. Absolutely happy. I do not want to meet with your kids or your grandkids and talking through them and talking with them through a divorce or through an adultery. I want to meet with them and I want to hear them say things like, you know, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, they love each other. They're affectionate. Do you notice how grandpa's eyes like light up every time she walks in the room? Isn't that awesome? That's what I want to hear your kids and grandkids say. But here's my... My ultimate motivation in telling you that you need to talk about everything. If you can't talk about that stuff with your spouse, you don't stand a chance talking about it with your kids. If you can't have that conversation with your husband or your wife, bro, you're not going to have that conversation with your son or your daughter. If you can't talk about intimate details with your husband or wife, kids don't have a chance. See, oftentimes I get this question as a pastor, and I got it a lot when I was a youth pastor. Parents oftentimes ask me the question, when, when do I have the talk with my kid? My response has always been, first and foremost, look, you don't have the talk, you have lots of talks. This is an ongoing conversation. You don't have one sit-down talk and explain everything. This is something that you start uh, early, early on at an age-appropriate level, and you just keep the lines of communication open. And, and, and last week I shared with you, know, typically in our culture, the first exposure to internet pornography is at age 11. You don't want that to be the first exposure for your kids. You don't want that. You want to, this is your kid. You have the, the right and the authority to, to, to be the one to have this conversation with them. And as they get older, you just got to keep talking about it. Um, there's a couple of things I want to kind of 
mention to you. Um, the Director of Fertility Research for Child Trends, which is a place that I got a lot of my research from, uh, the, the director's name, and I'm not even making this up, I promise you. The director's name is Jennifer Manlove. <laughs> you couldn't make that up if you tried. There's a couple things that she, she noted in her research. More than half, more than 50% of American teenagers, 15 to 19, are engaged. I want to say this in a way that doesn't offend anybody unnecessarily. They are engaged in non-intercourse sexual activity, okay? Now this is more than making out, or as you're a senior adult in the room, more than necking. <laughs> this is more than getting just touchy-feely with each other. This is, this is activity that can be destructive and can spread diseases, and most American teenagers don't think it counts, okay? Now, if you isolate the 18 and 19 year olds, the percentage that has participated in this activity shoots up to about 70%. Now, to me, I'm just guessing, but when it's more than half, I think of that as a social norm. Most kids in high school, middle school, know something about this. I think of it as part of kids' lives. And so I say all of that to say, you can't look at your baby girl and say, honey, you need to be a virgin. You gotta tell them what it means. And you gotta have an uncomfortable conversation and a lot of uncomfortable conversations laying out in explicit detail exactly what that means. Because here's the reality of it. There's an innumerable amount of American teenage girls running around with a promise ring on the finger telling daddy I'm gonna save myself, I'm gonna be pure. And they're doing stuff that they don't think counts because nobody's talked to them. Because they don't know. They don't know that it counts. Don't know. So you and your spouse need to be able to talk freely, ultimately, so that you can talk to your kids freely. All right, well, since everybody's real uh, tense and uncomfortable, let's go back on to verse 7. Uh, this is lastly for those of you who are in the room who may be single or divorced or a teenager. Um, she takes a moment to speak to her single friends. And she says this. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Most common question I get asked uh, by single people is, where's the line? Where's the line? And I want to tell you that's the wrong question. Because really the, the, the honest truth of it is, if you are actually being real with me, you would actually ask the question, how much sin can you participate in without getting in trouble? That's the real question. You see, 1 Timothy 5 says that men should treat women, uh, Christian men in particular, should treat Christian women as mothers or sisters, depending on if they're older or younger. So let me ask you a couple questions. Can you love your mom? Yeah, you can love your mom. Can you talk to your sister? Absolutely. Perfectly good. You can talk to your sister. Can you hang out with them? Can you enjoy spending time with them? Can you pray with them? Yeah, they, Do you touch them sexually? No. No, you do not. This is, what, this is what Paul's telling Timothy. When you're not married, everybody in the office of sex is a brother or sister, mom or dad. Right? You can have fun, you can talk, you can hang out, you don't cross the line. So a lot of times people are like, where's the line, where's the line, where's the line? That's not the issue. The issue is when is the time. The time is marriage. 
You see, we have this idea that God is trying to somehow keep us from experiencing some kind of pleasure or joy in our, in, in our life. The reality of it is, God's not like that. God is all about uh, being a good God and wanting good things for us. And when God tells us that something is not good, then it's a good idea to listen to it. See, he's established marriage so that we can all have maximum pleasure and joy. And when he allows us to do something, it's good. And when he tells us to stay away from something for a time, it's good. It's good. God is always forever focused on your benefit and your, your growing to look more like Jesus. The reality of it is, Satan is a liar and people still choose to uh, not believe what God said choose to follow Satan and the result is that their lives are devastated and generations are destroyed. We want the best for you here at Vertical Church. That's why we're talking about stuff like this. Um, there's, this there's this lie that you can practice for marriage before you get married. And the reality of it is you don't practice for covenant that way. You don't practice being one with somebody that way. You practice by, by being in covenant or relationship with Jesus Christ. Being one with Jesus and that's the only practice you need. That's right. That's it. So there's this lie that you know, you gotta, you gotta experiment. See what's up there. That's a lie. You experiment by loving Jesus. You practice by loving Jesus. Statistically speaking, those people who marry as virgins experience uh, a much higher level of happiness and satisfaction in their marriage and get divorced less. Much less likely to get divorced. A lot of these statistics come right here from our own University of Virginia and their sociology department. So this is not like some Christian barnet group. This is secular, uh, educational research from a, a, a mainline university. Not like somebody's got an agenda. They're just, they have an agenda. It's an agenda not to say what I'm saying. Bottom line, Satan is a liar. Bottom line, God still tells the truth. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and pull out your, your programs, your bulletins. It's got two pieces of mine attached to it. It looks like this. Okay, you'll see notice mine is attached to my wrist, right? I know this is going to sound strange. It's going to be weird. It's cool. Your friends will look at you a little bizarre. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to take it up, pull it out, especially like if, if, uh, if you just got one between you and your husband or your wife, that's perfect. You just need two uh, pieces of yarn. If you don't have a program with a piece of yarn, if you just slip your hand up, our host will come by and give you a couple pieces of, uh, of yarn. This is what I want you to do. Okay? Husbands, wives, I want you to put one strand around your wrist. If you don't have a strand, just lift your arm. Uh, and Stacy will come by and, and hand you uh, a piece. I want you to put it around your wrist, okay? So we're going to have an experiment. We're going to do our own study, our own research experiment here at Vertical Church. For seven days, the whole, the whole passage that we read today is all about this conversation of compliments. You're awesome. I love you. I love spending time with you. This is what I like to do when we're together. Can we talk about this? You're, you're beautiful. You're lovely. I get excited when you come around. I love our house. It's all about complimenting each other. So here's what I want to do. For seven days, from this Sunday to next Sunday, we're going to wear these, and we're going to commit to speaking positively to our spouse. Now, if you're not married, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to put one on and speak positively to the relationships that you have in your life. Okay? I want you to put it on and make a commitment that I'm not going to speak negatively 
to my husband. I'm not going to speak negatively to my wife. I'm going to speak positively. I'm going to compliment them. Whether they deserve it or whether they don't deserve it, I'm still going to compliment them for seven straight days. I'm going to do my, my very best not to, I'm going to do my best to weed out the, the negativity and the harshness and the, and the rudeness. And I'm going to speak positively to my wife. I'm going to speak positively to my husband. I'm going to compliment them. I'm going to compliment them specifically. I'm going to tell her I like her hair. I'm going to tell him I think he looks good in that shirt. I'm going to, I'm going to tell him I appreciate that he took out the trash. I'm going to tell her that dinner was awesome. I'm going to tell him that dinner was awesome. I'm going to tell her thank you for, for taking out the trash. I don't care what you do. Compliments. Seven days of nothing but compliments. And you say that it's not real. You're making us do it, so it's not true. Listen, listen, listen. There's a difference between what is authentic and what is natural. Okay? Look, for a guy like me, this isn't natural. I don't normally think I'm going to heap compliments on this person. Because I don't love through talking. Right? But what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a commitment for seven days that... It might be embarrassing. I might feel weird doing it. It might start off as awkward, but I'm going to heap compliments upon this person. I'm going, to heap, I'm going to keep it coming. Every time, I'm going to let this remind me to continue it. Just let it go. Just let it go. Just let it go. All right? Because I believe we're going to do this, and in seven days, you're going to be like, wow, our relationship really feels a lot stronger. I believe that's what's going to happen. Because this is what happened in the scripture. They just keep telling each other how great they are. And they absolutely love each other. Alright? So, here's what I'm going to do. I want to go ahead and pray. Um, and then Pastor Brian's going to come up. And uh, he's going to give us some uh, announcements and take up the offering. It's going to be great. Uh, but I want to go ahead and pray. We've got this on there. tied on there. You can feel free to cut off the excess if you want. Um, it's going to be good. I want to pray over you this morning. So, uh, everybody... Some people are still tying, so I'll give them a chance to finish time. Uh, while some people finish time, uh, March 4th is our last uh, Sunday in the Green Sex and Back series. And I want to encourage you if you uh, know a married couple or a single person, get them here because that day is going to be really, really cool. Uh, we're going to wrap this thing up in a really, really awesome way. I'm incredibly excited about that. So, uh, you want your single friends here, you want your married friends here, we're really going to talk about some really, really good stuff as we look at uh, what is really, um, in the Psalm of Psalms, uh, the husband and wife's wedding day. We're going to talk about the wedding day on March 4th, and it's going to be great. All right, everybody's tied up. All right, let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we would love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.